The reading for this week's sermon is from Romans 6, verses 12 through 23. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, guide us to serve you and one another humbly in your love. Amen. In kindergarten and first grade, there was this book series that I love very much, and I like to rent from the library each week. I get a new one. They were, they were jaded, they were sarcastic, and they were hilarious. They went by the name You Wouldn't Want to Be. It was a series where it would focus on shattering the illusions that we've built up about our great moments in history and the way we romanticize them. An example of this was a classic you wouldn't want to be an Egyptian mummy. Now, what the author and the illustrator did in this children's book was they did their best to remind you that being Pharaoh was probably pretty cool for about two hours before you realized there was no running water, there was no antibiotics, there was no Wi-Fi, and then when you passed away, they're going to make you into this mummy, and it was a gross process, and they have pictures that they drew and all that, and I loved it as a kid. Other books in the series that are now classics are You Wouldn't Want to Be an Aztec Sacrifice. You Wouldn't Want to Be an Anglo-Saxon Peasant. And finally, You Wouldn't Want to Be a Slave in Ancient Greece. It has the subtitle, A Life You'd Rather Not Have. It, what the book did was it gave me as a kindergartner an insight into the world that the reader or the hearer of the Apostle Paul might understand in the Greco-Roman world what a slave is and was. Among the many examples that the author uses to describe that being a slave was bad is that you couldn't vote, 
You didn't have sick days. You did mind-numbing labor. And of course, you had to pamper the egos of your masters and his many wives. You wouldn't want to be a slave. Yet, here today, we just heard in the reading, being urged by the Apostle Paul of Jesus Christ, that we ought to be slaves both to obedience, righteousness, and finally God. Now, Paul himself admits that he's speaking in human terms and that all analogies break apart at some point. But his analogy goes something like this. When you were baptized, Jesus becomes the Lord and master in your heart, of your life, of your new life, because it is now his life that rules and lives in you. When you look at this servant or slave analogy, what it does is it teaches us the reality of what it means to say that Jesus is Lord of our lives and not Satan or sin is the Lord of our life. And if you follow his analogy, what Paul does is when you follow it to its logical end, you quickly realize the truth of the matter. You wouldn't want to be a slave to sin. And what that does is lead us to ask the question that is probably more scary to ask or answer in American society. How much are you getting paid? We don't usually think of slaves as being paid anything, so maybe we'd understand it better as servanthood. But Paul tells us that the wage that sin is paying is death. And that a life of daily, unrepentant sin leads to death. And please, don't be deceived. All kinds of sin leads to death. Whether it be smoking, whether it be hate, being hateful, whether it be negative, whether it be violence or adultery, all of these things lead to you and others' lives being shorter. It's why cancer rates are so high. It's why there's looting everywhere in America. It's why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Sin and lives in service of sin. Well, what Paul has written here in the Apostle for today, or the Epistle for today, it, it became a famous St. Augustine quote. St. Augustine says, The wicked man, though he is not a slave to any earthly king, is not the slave of a single man, but instead he is the slave of as many masters as he has vices. Though you're baptized... Your old Adam, your old Eve, your sinful nature, it's still living in you. And it's vying for control as Lord of your life. It's still there. And Jesus, as he's sitting on the throne in your heart, Satan is scheming. He's conspiring with all of his demons to try and subvert your actions and your critical moments in your life so that you do not fear, love, and trust God above all things. You might call this Satan's shadow government, or if you will, the deep state of your heart. Paul, Peter, the writers of the epistles, the New Testament, they seem to show consensus that if you willfully live this life of unrepentant sin, if you turn away from the living, ascended God, you may lose your salvation. You can. And that's why when Paul is writing in the Romans text today, he is making it so important and he is so adamant about using what's called the negative imperative in Greek in verse 12. He writes to us, do not let sin reign in your body. 
Resist it constantly. Baptism, it's not the end of a battle. In fact, it's not even something that happened to you a long time ago and no longer affects your life. Your baptism actually inaugurated in you a new conflict in your life, a new battle, a daily battle against the reign of sin over your life and its choices. And only through daily remembering your baptism, you know, making the sign of the cross, where you, that baptism where you receive forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, only through remembering that can you be freed to finally follow and cooperate with the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. But that battle is constant, though. Do you think you have what it takes to uh, constantly resist the authority of the devil and sin in your life? I know I don't. I know that that creeping feeling when, you know, I come home from work and I should go jog, but I want to sit on the couch and eat the bag of chips. I, I know that if you do just lie that one time, you probably will get the promotion over the other guy at work. But if you listen to Jesus's voice, his voice in his word and sacraments, when you follow him, He will not let the devil snatch you out of his hands. This is what he promises us in the Gospel of John. One of the much, much later reformers of the church, one time he said that the human heart is a factory, and the product that that factory makes is idols. Did you hear maybe like two months ago about that guy, Elon Musk, and he's the guy that owns Tesla, and when the coronavirus outbreak hit, he instructed all of his Tesla factories to, instead of making Teslas, to make these respirators that would be sent to coronavirus hospitals. Now, imagine if those workers, they didn't listen to the voice telling them to build cars, and instead they listened to their usual habits and thoughts, and they built Teslas. That would be a recipe ending in death. Or imagine if uh, Ford, General Motors, like those kinds of companies back in World War II, if they didn't stop making cars or what have you, and instead they didn't make those tanks and airplanes to fight in World War II, would we have ended the Nazi, the Italian, the imperial Japanese control of the world? I don't think so, but Jesus has now taken the authority and control in your heart. And remember, if, if you listen to his voice, in his word, in the sacraments that you receive, if you listen to him, if you follow him, he promises you that the devil will not snatch you from his hands. Now, Martin Luther, he wrote this small book. It was called The Small Catechism. And he wrote it with a very basic premise in mind. The premise was that all people fear, love, and trust something above all things, whether it be an idol, a god, or maybe even the Christian god. But he also writes and instructs that the only through proper instruction in the word and sacraments can Christians ever dream of understanding that God alone is to be given this honor and authority in our hearts. And so the Proverbs say... If we bind God's teaching and God's word always in our hearts, if we fasten it around our necks, 
When we walk, the word will guide us. When we lie down, the word will watch over us. When we awake, the word will speak to us. For God's commandments are a lamp, his teachings a light. His disciplines are a way of life. And that sounds like lifestyle change to me. Internalizing God's word into our very beings to guide our every choice. It completely changes everything. And there's no coercion or resentment in this kind of servanthood like human slavery. But instead, there's only life and righteousness. Two of God's big goals. Today's Father's Day. And... I understand none of these texts were an easy Father's Day preach. But know that on this Father's Day, ironically, the Father has given us a gift. This is a gift that you won't find on any Amazon wish list or uh, one of those weekly store mailers. And fathers, if you know how to give your children good gifts, imagine how much more so your Father in Heaven gives you good gifts In his son through the Holy Spirit. This is that gift that Paul talks about in Romans 6. At the end of our reading in verse 23. That the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal life won for us. In his death, his life, his resurrection, his ascension. Now contrast that with what sin's paying these days, right? Death. There's no comparison. When one, when one proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, when you are his servant, you have eternal life. It is yours. Even that shame of past sinful life, of the consequences of sin, you are forgiven. Actually, the Bible says it's blotted out. And now God the Father says to you, I have redeemed you. I have called your name. You are mine. So yeah, you wouldn't want to be a slave in ancient Greece. You wouldn't want to be a slave in ancient Rome. You wouldn't want to build a pyramid in any capacity, any time in history. But you do want to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The servant of the Lord Jesus, he serves his God. This is what he does. He he serves his God by loving him with all of his heart, his soul, his strength, and his mind. And he protects his neighbor's life as though it were his own. And being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is realizing that you you are completely forgiven. You are completely saved. Yet, you're completely dependent each day on him to give you all things. And that all things pass through his hands. Even suffering. Even your suffering. Now there's this guy named Chemnitz. He was one of the church fathers of the Lutheran faith. Him and the gang, they wrote something called the Solid Declaration of the Formula of Concord. If you're not familiar, it's one of the books in what we call the Lutheran Confessions. In it, he writes that it is certain that we must... And we can cooperate by the power of the Holy Spirit, even though we still do so in great weakness. This occurs not on the basis of our fleshly natural powers, but on the basis of the new powers and gifts 
which the Holy Spirit initiated in our baptisms. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was actually raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Amen.